This is Moss Weedland and Story in Mind. Topic on this ending spring day. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's the afternoon. The topic. Uh, Luis, is it, no, no. Uh, Jorge Luis Borges. And in my mind, the Jorge is sort of looking like George. And it's uh, the same idea as a jalapeno, right, with the J that you pronounce, that, pronounce it. I guess it's in Spanish. And so... Uh, so that's J L B, right? Jorge Luis Borges, and uh, he was in an Argentinian, and just from just from photos, I, I you know I I'm sure I'll go back and I'll look more into it. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing a European, somebody of uh, European descent, rather than a uh, native uh, South American person. Does it matter? Yes and no. Like, on a human level, of course not. But... There, there, is, there is, say, the shaping, the shaping of identity... How, how one thinks of themselves and how one divides oneself. I feel like I've, I'm sort of like going downstairs deeper and deeper into this basement of, you know, it's like, uh-oh, what have I gotten myself into? I shouldn't have mentioned anything about the, the way he looks. And two, it can be completely wrong. And, uh, yeah, in the end, doesn't matter. I was having this conversation with my manager, and I, I, I was I was talking about what is it? The very little bit of Mediterranean that I have in my in my ancestry, and you know what what does that mean? Does it mean anything? Say somebody looking at me wouldn't probably sort of go. Ah, yes, I can tell, you know, you have this small amount of Mediterranean. And it, 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 it really is, uh, it, it's weird to say how, you know, what gets focused on. Because in, in my family, it was very much, or at least my upbringing, there was this focus on a Scottish, even though there was all kinds of different uh, aspects of the family branches, we ended up focusing on this Scottish identity, and uh, this place that doesn't really exist anymore uh, in the way that it did. It's still there, uh, up near Glasgow or Glasgow, and so. So, uh, 
Jorge Luis Borges. And so my experience, I have a couple of I have a couple of sort of things that I'm attached to this writer. He's known for short stories, essays, poetry. Uh, we're talking 20th century, so in the 1900s. My interest is in, is in the fantastic and this sort of bridging of literary fiction over, over to fantasy. Okay, I'm just attempting to remember one of the short stories that sort of has, has motivated me and moved me. And it begins with a list of three places, and I'm just recalling the first, which is Tlom. And there's an umlaut over the O. So is it, is it Tlon or Tlun? <clears throat> and and I wouldn't I wouldn't have started talking, but the this short story it's in this collection called Labyrinths, and I'm just now my mind is wandering off and thinking, oh is is he doing magic realism? So that's for me to go back and take a look. But this specific story, short story, has to do with a conversation between, uh, can I say, two intellectuals. These two people are having this discussion about an entry in a encyclopedia. And it turns out to be somewhere that doesn't exist, <clears throat> except within these modified encyclopedias that have included this entry. And so we, we dig deeper and deeper into how it came about that this uh, fabulous place was created. It was created in the imagination. And there's fantastic moments like that it's, uh, it's run by metaphysicians. And two, I, it's a bit sketchy. The, the way, for me, through my reading of it. So, the, the, the way it's written, it's written, the, the way it's written uh, shapes this kind of distance distancing, like a, it's a scholarly, in, in one way it's scholarly, but in another way it's journalistic, and it feels condensed and compressed, and even though it's fiction, it has this air of, we're listening into these intellectuals uh, discussing something that is ephemeral, basically. Uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't exist. It's in the mind. Much like a short story. Much like fiction. You know, we read something and the, it goes into the pipe and it's, it's happening inside the, the brain. So, 
the, the style that it's written in is it's a first-person account. We don't get close uh, into we don't get close into um, scenes. Uh, that, that that's not the point of, of this short story. Instead, it's say relating relating accounts, relating people. We don't get close up, say, sensory descriptions uh, of a setting or of a person. But it's, it's sort of has this distance, and that's part of the kind of flavor. It is almost written like a encyclopedia entry itself. But it, it goes from uh, this discussion of a place that one person asserts. They said, you know, I have definitely read it in this encyclopedia. And then um, our narrator goes and checks the encyclopedia. And this place called... Um, I don't think it's Toulon right away. But one of the places that they go and check, I think it's a city. And then, say, the greater... Uh, the greater name for it, like the country, is called Tlon. I think Akbar is the name of, I think, the city, and Tlon is the name of the place, the country, region. I've had this book kicking around for a while, and I actually found myself looking it up to see who, who published it, the circumstances. Uh, I think it's at least from the 1950s. And black and white uh, color. Uh, cheap, because you just need, you know, one ink. You don't need a, a bunch of ink, different types of inks, you just need one type. Uh, an interesting title for the collection, Labyrinths. And it was something that I would dip into occasionally. The, the one story, I think, that had sort of made me keep the collection rather than, okay, I'm never going to read this, or um, I'm, I'm not a person who has a huge collection of books. My books are functional. Why? Because I'm on the move, or at least in, in my mind, I'm uh, paring things down. So, Spartan, minimalist, not intentionally, not, you know, not thinking, ah, I will be a minimalist, uh, but, but rather I'm, I'm looking to focus and pare down. Much like, say, you know, a closet full of clothes, and, you know, okay, you know, it's time to start uh, ditching some of this stuff that is... I don't even remember why I have it. And I also will do things 
you know, don't despair if you're a book lover. I do things also that say I will give books to people that I sort of deem worthy or that say that they have a... For me, like, like say, you know, I would give... I've had many... I've had a few few copies of The Hobbit over the years, and I, I will I will give them away to uh, those in need. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking of those situations. Relatives, relatives, uh, friends say uh, I have some friends with kids, and sort of, you know, I would you know pop that book in the mail. Uh, Things like that. But this particular book is... This particular book has stuck with me through all of that. And there's been lots of opportunities, especially recently. Um, I'm just in the middle of a purge where I'm getting rid of these books and, and other items that are kicking around. That's interesting. Somebody has a sort of a kind of a tarp and then they have this pile of pebbles. Like a large pile of pebbles. So at at the moment I'm doing this purge and taking uh, some some books that um, they're just either not going to happen, or they are... Hello. Hi. Good to see you. It's time for a, a pat. Uh, uh, dog, yes. Dog opportunity. Okay, so uh, let's see. Purge. And... So I filled up a cart full of... Um, odds and ends, including books. I have some discarded library books that uh, functioned, had, had a purpose at one time. One was a, a market when I was seeking, seeking a publisher for my book. So I was, I was checking that out. I thought it was a good idea. And I'm just thinking of the other books that I'm letting go. I've actually gotten some books that I thought, okay, you know, I will read these. Uh, what are what's an example? Just some sort of cheap uh, fantasy novels that I just saw in passing, and I thought, oh yeah. You know, that looks good. But then when I opened it up, there were all kinds of uh, problems. <clears throat> Say that I didn't connect, uh, that it was... It wasn't written for me, basically. Ah, oh, does it matter? Well, kinda. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm And I'm releasing them back into the wild. And, you know, hopefully... Uh, they're going to connect with... There's a potential they'll connect with somebody else who, who is going to use them or um, will know somebody you know, who, who 
it's a value too. Right. So back to Jorge Luis Borges. Jorge? There we go. Right. So in the in the short story that I'm moved to to talk about there's a there's there there are these characters that are talking about a place that doesn't exist and an imagined place to such a degree that because because there's a belief you know that you know there's these entries that turn up in these um, I think I can say bastardized uh, encyclopedias that there's actual archaeology that gets discovered or at least there's stories of the archaeology and th- this makes me think of I think the guy's name is Schliemann and he was a I don't think he's an archaeologist but more of an antiquarian and uh, you know, digging around he's looking for the city of Troy which pretty much it's it's been agreed that that he uh he was that he had discovered or a version of it right that there was an actual place that the stories had been based on or it's just super super close right so that there's a feeling of that there's an air that perhaps we're we're discussing uh, this guy Schliemann, you know, dig- digging up uh, gold jewelry and getting into the newspapers. It pr- it'd probably be a hundred years ago now that that actually happened. And uh, here's Jorge Luis Borges writing writing about a situation, say, where there's this fictional place, a fictional place that has been made real in the imagination. Uh, and that speaks to me. I, 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 I quite like that notion. And it makes me think of Vancouver, that there is this... There is, there is a fictionality to Vancouver. It's a hundred... 25 years. Uh, most of it has been imported. You know, the, the ideas, the ideas, the language, the experience of this place. It's a kind of prefab quality, sort of overnight. Pop, pop, pop. Here's this, here's a port city. Here's a port city. Here's a European port city. Uh, a world away. <clears throat> and that one is existing inside this fairy tale, you know, this uh, the, this fantasy of a place. The way the short story, this tlon, and then there's two other words uh, divided by commas, these place names. <laughs> it's that time of year. 
we're getting uh, we're getting dive dive bombed. Doing fake throwing of rocks at the crows. That's the thing. Every year it's the same. Sort of es- escalate. escalate. I, just, I just got winged by the crow. And it's, it's sad because I can, I can seriously... I, I, I could uh, damage one of these crows. I suppose the subtle thing is to is to just avoid this side of the, the street. And to, and to the crow is just so blind that it's not it's not picking up on these cues. The fantasy versus the reality. I'm just thinking too, it could be a situation where the crows, this something has happened, and then the crows are sort of, that's why they're all riled up. But hey, maybe it's time to go down to the, let's go down to the other street. I don't think I've actually ever been touched by a crow. Maybe once before, but a, a while ago. So this was actually having the, the sort of the feeling of the crow's wing touching my arm with this, you know, rack, 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 rack going on. And two, a, a, a real physical interaction versus say you know you know inside the mind um, imagining something here i am walking along that's the physical part talking which is also physical but that there's you know the, that the thought is based on thinking and that i'm 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 recalling information, this short story that I've read and that I'm, you know, processing and coming up with something to say about it. Now I'm getting into sort of justifying and going, is it, is it worth the time spent, like say, I saved this book. I saved it because I, I read one story that had invented uh, creatures, mythological beasts. I think it was, uh, it was like a bestiary. There was a discussion in this collection. So this short story about invented creatures that spoke to me. And I, and I remembered that, so that's why I'm saving it. And then I just opened it and I'm reacquainting myself with this story of an imaginary place. 
thinking of, say, the, the people who published it, that, that's one question I have, is how does something like this get published? Literary magazines, there are many different kinds. There are ones that are avant-garde, and then there's ones that are more highbrow, less inventive, there's an argument there waiting to happen, but that you would sit down and you would read that you would you would come away with it going, well that's exactly what I would expect from literary fiction. You know, it's there's there's some drama. It's not really that fresh and shocking. What I'm thinking of is I, I had a book, and this is an example of a book that I've given away, that it was to another writer, uh, and the book had to do with fresh writing, and going through and looking for ways to make, make descriptions pop. And it was, something, it was something like, say, you would read it once, and then possibly never read it again, so why not share it with somebody else who could at least get these ideas in their, in their, in their brain. So, so that's, that's the secret of it, is to, is to, be, to, is to find a literary journal, a magazine, online or otherwise, that is into that form of storytelling, perhaps Argentinian, uh, perhaps, say, in the original language, because I'm, I'm feeling that it's been translated. Uh, but perhaps not. I have this memory of say reading something I think it was an interview where he was talking about uh, Beowulf and that he had this really big thing about Beowulf and, and English in general just the whole sort of experience language, culture, literature why am I saying this? Uh, because I have not had uh, say I have written many things but not known how to write well and I'm s sort of moving forward I have this backlog of uh, potential publication worthy stuff But also a question is sort of, at what point do you do, do you do, I guess the, you do those projects when you're burnt out, when, well that's interesting. There are, I was just, just past this tree where there's this, um, Originally, they were branches, 
And they were either cut off or broken off, like, say, in a storm. And they've left these... Mm, they're almost like the tree has these open mouths, like with lips, where the branches used to be. And so uh, there's actual holes in the tree. And as I'm looking at it, I, I can see right now three holes. And as I passed the tree, there was this chirping, like in a really sort of youthful chirping. And now I'm, I can still hear the chirping and it's coming from one of these holes that look like mouths, like sort of like um, uh, pursed lips, sort of ooh kind of thing, um, like, a, like a baby would do. I'm just remembering my siblings as kids, that they, as babies. Now that, I've, now that I've left these little birds in, I guess it's a nest inside the tree and they're just chirping away. And two, I saw a, a bird take off. And now I'm wondering, it's like, oh, was that a woodpecker? Not very high off the ground at all. You know, maybe six feet, maybe. I sort of remember, speaking of birds, I sort of remember that the first street I usually walk on, the first loop I do, is they have they have the aggressive crows are up there, and then the second street has less aggressive. I'm not sure if that has to do with the people who live here actually taking. It might have to do with the trees themselves, which seem actually a bit higher. Because uh, the second street I walk on has taller trees, whereas the first street has lower, I think. I'm not, I'd have to take a look. So, uh, Jorge Luis Borges. W one of the quotes that has stuck with me, uh, sort of like, you know, kind of a, an electric moment where you're listening, where, I mean, I was reading, and then I was it's like, oh my gosh, that was profound. And not, not the quotes that are normally uh, tossed up, washed up on social media. Uh, because there's the usual, uh, which do become cliche, you say, after a while. Uh, but I suppose, you know, there's a first time for everyone to, to see those quotes. You know, there's a... There's usually a graphic that somebody's done, like a, a picture of the author and then the quote beside it. <laughs> but it's never, it's never Voltaire. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a Voltaire one. And I think you have to be, in, you know, on philosophy or philosopher Twitter, you know, sort of engaged with other people doing that you know, sort of blocking out the rest of Twitter. But in, so in, in writer Twitter or author Twitter, you're, you're getting these quotes from, you know, whether it's Mark Twain or somebody else. But I, I, I saw this quote from Jorge Luis Borges, and 
it was along the lines of uh, I, I think it starts off I, I am and then it goes through you know the people that I've met uh, that I've loved the places that I've gone to that so that he is he feels that he is all of these things and then at the end of the quote if if it's a long one then it'll go into I don't think that I really exist and it's sort of parsing and breaking down identity and what what it is to be a person uh, say our culture our culture our family our experiences make us and, and shape us it's these building blocks and th there's this great sense of identity the ego right I exist but for for JLB Jorge he's saying he, he's saying he's, he's looking at these and he's going no I think I'm I'm just sort of pieces of the whole you know that I'm I'm made up of these experiences. Uh, they you know they have expressed, you know, you know through him they have become expressed, and uh, say is conscious of. But I just like the notion that, you know, in a way he he's he's a fantasy. You know, in a way he's. Um, He's just thoughts, thoughts and ideas and notions uh, of what he should be or what he thinks that he is, you know, via his own experiences. He, what he's told to be. Oh, you're a this, you're a that, you're, you're a man from Argentina. You write, so therefore you are a writer. One thing that that does is it kind of pigeonholes a person, right? It's sort of uh, all of the potential of what you could be is pushed aside in in favor of what you what you deem or what it, what you've been told you are. So all of a sudden, there's this. There are these limitations that are imposed. I'm just finding that with writing. And, and and continuing, say, writing about a place and about characters. That as as I go, I, I I get to know them better. I know them much better now, of course, than when I first started off. But there is this imposing of of who they are and what they are. So my fantasy world, in a sense, becomes smaller because of these limitations that are being imposed just sort of like layer upon layer and and it's almost like bed sheets right you know if you if you pile a couple of bed sheets it doesn't seem like much but if you if you pile a thousand bed sheets suddenly it becomes thick really thick you know mattress thick and I'm, I'm sort of guessing and I'm imagining that at the end of this process that there will be little room to move and maneuver 
because so much has been defined and that there's little to there's little room to explore and to investigate and I guess at that point then it's over or at least I mean for at least that and, and it would be a process of okay you know we'll have to go with other characters now or okay we'll have to go and explore a, a different part of this world right we'll have to figure out and branch out right okay well we've explored everything on top all right let's go now let's go underneath let's go into some kind of spirit world or some kind of underworld hollow world but that what what the story was will have changed and and especially say for the main character already i'm having the sensation of limitations being imposed the more i know about the character and the more i say about the character you know in a sense the character becomes uh, Le- less flexible, uh, plastic, uh, more brittle. That's not. It's not quite right. But anyways, I think I'm. I, th- I, th- I think I'm there in, in communicating what what the experience is like. I've I've just done two interviews now, where. The interviewer is, is, is the questions. The interviewer is the questions. The interviewer is the, uh, the platform, the, uh, the brand. I, what is it? So the brand image, hopefully close to the identity. The interviewer is uh, a podcast. So I'm, I'm very much sort of, I've taken a step back. And it's interesting just to hear somebody talking, replying to my questions. So I'm there in a sense, in a kind of uh, correspondence style. There's this response and uh, comments being made. But I'm half a world away in, in some instances. And... It's it's for me it's interesting. It spices it up because I, I get to listen to somebody. I get to listen to a writer talking. I'm involved. Yes, I've I'm directing it because I've you know the questions themselves direct it. But but there's this response, and so it's mostly mostly the response that is there. And I'll I'll still do interviews in person. But it's just, it's just adjusting and shifting uh, how I am looking at the interview process. Say, I'm not there to make adjustments or have sudden ideas. You know, the, for me, the organic has been removed. And, but more organic has been handed over. There's less of, say, an awkwardness, which I've encountered, both in myself and, say, for the other person, 
a couple of times, you know, I barely know them. And actually, I, and more than a couple. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting to get away from that and to hear... For, for me, it's a bit more authentic. Mm. Yeah. So we're moving into the wrapping up. Oh, that's nice. It's a bit of chalk drawing on the ground. It's kind of like a, a reminder or a, it would be interesting some sometime to do a kind of treasure hunt or a um, you know, here's the secret places. You know, here's our neighborhood, but did you know that, you know, this and that and the other thing? Or to have fun with it, like say, you know, this is the house uh, that leads leads to the underworld. You know, when when you're knocking on the door, make sure to ask for the uh, the person. No, I. I'm <laughs> Anyways. Back to Louis, uh, it's Jorge Louis Borges. JLB. So, uh, the book, the book of short stories called Labyrinth, this collection, dealing with things that don't exist it seems it seems it's preoccupied with that more so than with say sh- simply interacting with these creatures and there's more of a sort of standoff um, there's the, a distance from actually experiencing them especially say in the two stories I've mentioned where yeah we have a kind of journalistic encyclopedic distance and and the narrator doesn't take us there we're just we're just getting these letters uh, you know about about this occurrence that happened another thing that happens for me as the reader is that I want to get closer I'm curious I'm also curious about well why why not? Why not take us there? Why have this kind of um, this distance, this narrative distance? Steering the corporeal vehicle back home. Just has that feeling. It's like, oh, it's time to get back. One thing that I haven't done today, I haven't 
uh, gotten on the saddle and ridden the, wi the wooden horse that is my desk. It's in a very good position right now as far as the uh, editing and drafting. Let's say right now it's about sort of the incremental going through going through a chapter, going through a sentence, a word. It's it's incremental and it's about moving forward rather than jumping around. And um, so that's a, a good feeling of accomplishment rather than feeling like kind of all over the place. Uh, I'll have that feeling when I'm doing late motifs, say, or however you want to call them, where there's these story threads and you're following you know, one element uh, that sort of keeps popping up. I think I'd mentioned fleur-de-lis earlier, so that's my... That's my example, is, is the, uh, the fleur-de-lis, and just watching some odd driving happening. Okay. <laughs> for, for me, I'm, I'm waving people on and kind of avoiding the, wow, I just, I just saw some really bad driving happening sort of accident potential driving. I suppose because it's like a pseudo-residential area that it feels like an accident's not going to happen, so I'll get away with some rural-style driving. People sort of mark themselves as well as sort of that they're, that they're from out of town, but that doesn't work because people get, you know, you get trained by your parents and uh, how, to, how to drive. This is how to drive. I'm going to show you the wrong way, right? Uh, a very unsafe way, but highly efficient, as long as you don't mind a few accidents along the way. Back to, back to our dude, Jorge. And two, to circle back to the beginning, actually, I would be interested in getting closer to the South American, uh, South American native, indigenous, Aboriginal, and if say first impressions, like say I'm, I'm looking at this. It's right. Our, there's the, the countries. Argentina, Argentina, Argentine, and to read a bit more about him, Jorge, to see where he was with all of that, you know, or, you know, is, is there a distance between us in that experience that say, my hope is that he is writing uh, with the consciousness of where he is, a colonial consciousness. Right, that he realizes that there's that there's that there's a culture there, a civilization there, and that in a way that he's imposing, or that he's part of this imposition, that is uh, creating 
the uh, country of Argentina. And, and, and that's, that's always this sort of bewildering um, question, at least here in Vancouver, of, of identity. It's like, well, I am, you know, I am that place, you know, but I'm not that place. And there's somebody who's obviously from, from somewhere else, but they're here. And we have the same body language, we, you know, speaking the same thing. Um, and yet we, we have different identities. Uh, how is that possible? You know, it's, it's a reality. You know, it's, it's happening right now. Uh, glorious, confusing. And, and, and to the, the writer in me sort of enjoys taking not a backseat, but kind of being audience and, and watching how people as characters are navigating the, uh, that experience, the colonial experience. And to not not even using not even using language in that way, um, I mentioned lenses and how we see things, and, and that is one lens to sort of slide into the frame of of looking at it as colonial. It's like oh no, it's post-colonial. It's like well, is it? Who says so? And, and then, you know, again, these are modifications to that lens and that way of looking at experience. So, so that's, that's one thing I'm, I'm thinking about, Jorge. You know, it is, is what he is doing a kind of covering up you know, a kind of, I'm not going to talk about the uh, First Nations experience. Of, and two, I don't think that term even existed. But there, there were others. And is that something that he wrote about? Could he? Right? Because, you know, for some people it is impossible. As soon as you start doing that... Everything comes into question. This, this door is being very contrary. As, as you can hear, I've got the French radio on because we have a, our natural, uh, our natural, Canada's bilingual. And it's it's the deal by which uh, we there's we have a province called Quebec, so a province is like a state, and we have this deal set up by which uh, we are bilingual. So the language, if you come to Canada, everything is like say if you go into a, a supermarket, things say. You'll have the English on one side and the French on the other. And more often than not, say Vancouver, you're going to see the English presented, right? And because, 
because I'm the person I am, I get curious about it, right? So I will rotate items just to see, almost like in a poetic sense, is, is there, what happens when you have both? What happens when you have one can that says English in one row and then another row that says French? What is the experience like? Uh, why are all of the English, you know, the labels in English faced out? And of course the answer, the answer is obvious. But, but for me, I, 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 get, into, I get into the into the question of bilingualism and the question of, you know, is, is there a way to promote that more um, in Vancouver? You can send your kids to purely French, right? So say you'll speak, at home you'll speak English, but your kids, oh, it's called immersion, French immersion. And everything is in French. There's no English. And especially here in Vancouver, I believe that that is a benefit. Because really we are, you know, we are on the other side of the continent. And, that, and, and too, this is not talking even about a trilingual, you know, a trilingual Vancouver where we have the First Nations language represented, which which is on the brink of extinction, and which, you know, th- their culture is valid, and I want to appreciate it, and so on and so forth. Yeah, we're not not even getting into that. For uh, for Jorge Luis Borges, was that an issue? You know, say was. Um, I'm hope I'm thinking I think that Ar- Argentina was Spanish, w- but was it Portuguese? Uh, so that I'm going to go look up now and do some do some research, watch some videos. Hopefully, not get sucked into the, you know, oh Jorge was so great, but instead sort of get deeper and see if I can get closer to the guy. Because because for me in that quote where he talks about. Um, that about not really existing for me that's profound and i i want to get closer to that um person but at the same time you know i don't want to be completely avoiding the colonial post-colonial the first nation right i i i i would like that factored in and um be, because say was that was that something that he could talk about was that something, or was that something that he couldn't, you know, talk about and go to? Is his work uh, kind of coded? Like, say, would we find, it, it, is his, and I'll say it, fantasy, is his fantasy work a way of representing and expressing something that, say, his Eurocentric side could not, right? He's, you know, here I am in this amazing culture, this, you know, wealth of otherness, right? And this is the way I'm going to embrace it, right? So I, I can't, I can't complete, well, I don't want to completely burn out at this point. I have five minutes. And what else about Jorge? I, 
I, I don't think that it would be fair to sort of say build on. I think that there's people that definitely are, are building on what he's done. Say, you know, they're influenced stylistically. They're sort of going to him and saying, okay, well, I'm going to do that as well. It feels really like, say, it would be an intellectual draw, that it would be, say, scholars would be would be drawn to his work, not, say, somebody like myself who's on this teeter-totter with genre fiction, right? But people who are actually in uh, literary literary fiction who are seeking something of fairy, and that's a nod to Tolkien, um, not... Um, I, I want to sort of describe because there's these these ways of describing fairy that is, it's it's I, for some reason I have this crisper factory, but I don't. That's a that's a really bizarre description, but I have five minutes, three minutes probably now. So crisper, this is totally subconscious coming up. Crisper is this gene splicing. Is it gene splicing? Anyways, that's close enough that it's a way of manipulating DNA. And so, you know, you'll come up with, uh, like, say, CRISPR kids. We actually have CRISPR kids now in China. There's at least one CRISPR kid in China. There's definitely CRISPR critters. There's animals that you can even, you know, you can even buy, like, you know, glow-in-the-dark cats and things like that. And then, uh, and then food. Uh, so, you know, so we'll have, we can, you know, you can make a, you can make a potato. I was going to say that sings. My subconscious is great today. But you can have a potato that is, um, you know, maybe it changes colors or, or maybe it tastes like fish, for example, right? Very GMO. <clears throat> so, so uh, CRISPR factory. Um, uh, uh, the, there is this there, it's almost like the regalia of a carnival, Rio de Janeiro, or even you know Europe, because they have car. That's where carnival comes from, and you know these parades and these amazing costumes of you know feathers and glitter. Um, so so there's there's that side of it. There's this. Real, it's really for me. It's camp. It's sort of we're going to take fairy, and we're going to really doll it up. We're going to sort of put this, you know, costumes, um, the, you know, these massive butterfly wings, these, what is it, uh, elaborate? Like say making something um, exaggeration. There we go. Right. Say we have these exaggeration. Like say when Japanese anime does fairy, right? And all of a sudden you have these donkey ears and you have this sort of stylistic look at... Um, and I think exaggeration for me is the best. It, it's sort of... It's getting away from the thing that it is and instead it's it's reveling in... There There is an element... I'm not sure if Tolkien was talking about it, but they're say when talking about elves, when talking about fairies, things like changelings, like 
you know, that, that the elves will steal children. And it, the, so these are not the elves that, you know, you, you see in Lord of the Rings. These are more sort of, you know, classical medieval elves, you know, that are malevolent spirits, right, who are going to steal babies, you know, and leave, you know, these terrible uh, creatures called changelings who scream all the time, which is, of course, you know, the, the baby with colic or, um, you know, the baby that's not being taken care of, being held and everything like that. Or just, you know, a, a bad-tempered baby, right? You know, they're just, they're not pleased about the situation. So instead, we get these fairy tales of changelings and, you know, my baby was stolen. No, no, no. You know, this is normal. This is your baby. You, you're just a bad parent, right? How dare you, right? This is obviously a changeling. I'm a good person. Um, it, and it, it's getting away from that kind of, you know, that history, those traditions, and instead it's it's building it up and it's it's making it something that say, um, it's a, a costume party, right? And and it's this, it's an exaggeration, but it's also sort of aspirational, right? That say, you know. I, I too can be this thing. And yet for myself, it's getting away from the, the psychological part of it. And instead it's more um, fantasy in the psychological sense, this avoiding, and you know, instead I'm going to um, avoid it and I'm going to sort of daydream and, and go off, which is fine, of course. But but more sort of in the sense of avoidance, right? I'm not going to look at the problem. I'm not going to deal with, um, you know, I'm not you know I'm not going to look at the symptoms or deal with the cause. Instead, I'm going to you know go off and and even be this other thing. Much like say, you know, the unicorn movement, if I can call it a movement, you know, people dressing up as unicorns and um, or just even having the horns and then spraying themselves with glitter and. Um, which is fine. I I feel like I've dug myself another pit. <laughs> Moss, are you saying that, you know, are you saying that these people's interpretation is not the real interpretation? That's that's a that's for another um and another episode. So, I will have another episode about that. Okay, thank you for listening and you know, just sort of dabbling in Jorge Luis Borges. I'm just you know, got the pronunciation, I'm going to keep using it. Take care.